Welcome to the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the nationally recognized preferred provider for asset protection and tax planning in the nation. This show is for real estate investors looking to protect their assets, save on taxes, and build their wealth with Clint Coons. Clint is an attorney, author, avid real estate investor, and featured instructor at Anderson's tax and asset protection events held throughout the country. Enjoy the show. Welcome, everyone. Hi, you know, it's Clint Coons here, and I've got a very special guest who actually happens to be a client that I wanted to bring on and share with you some of her investing strategies when it comes to real estate investing. You know, it's not very often that I'm speaking with a client, talking about structuring, and I hear something that just resonates, that is so different than what I typically hear when it comes to working with real estate investors. And I thought that you all would like to hear from her as well about the way in which she's been able to take investments and really maximize their value. Now, some of you may say, well, I've heard about that before, but hey, it was new to me. And so those of you that haven't, I wanted to share it. And we're going to do that by inviting on Danielle Viegas, who is, as I said, a client, she's a landlord, and she's really found success with her investing. And I want you to learn about that. Danielle, thanks for joining me. Hey, good to be here. Absolutely. Okay. So on your website, it states that you're a creative landlord. What made you come up with that term? Well, I was an art student. I kind of grew up thinking I should be some, my dad was a real estate investor, but he also worked a 40 plus hour a job his whole life. And I saw how those rentals kind of boosted his income and kept him going. So I had rentals in my mind from a long time, but when I decided to go to art school, I realized that, you know, I might not be able to ever afford to buy a house. So I, I, I just expected to live a life at below the, the fray, right? Yeah, as an art as, student. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I racked up student loan debt and, you know, uh, did all these kinds of things. And eventually, though, there was an opportunity when I had a real job for a while and I was able to qualify for a home. Of course, it was during that time when they were giving out loans left and right, which was super good, but I was still making the money. So I legitimately qualified and was able to purchase a home. And when I bought the home, what was in the back of my head the whole time was make sure you've got rental rooms because as an artist, I'm not making very much money. I want to be able to do my artwork and having that extra income is just tremendously important. So you you got this house and it was your first property. And of course, the mortgage is pretty big and the income is going to make it's going it's to be difficult to support that mortgage. So a lot of people are familiar with the term house hacking. And, and is that how you first started out getting into this creative strategy that we're, we're going to be talking about? Yeah, more or less. I, I actually, while I was in college, I mm-hmm. rented a little place, like a little farm worker shack in Los Angeles and the outskirts of Los Angeles. And I bought a trailer for 500 bucks and pulled it up on my land. And, and that trailer, the rental I got money I got from that actually paid most of my rent. So I was kind of already conditioned to not paying, not paying my own rent if I don't have to or my own mortgage. So when there was a time, so I, when I bought, first bought the house, I could actually afford it. That job went away and I actually became a financial, um, a financial advisor with a mutual life insurance company where I learned a lot more of how the rich get richer 
and all those tricks and tools of the trade. And I was a great salesperson, but I was selling to people like me who were like artists who could not afford the big, big buck uh, things. So I was one of the top salespeople in the company. However, because I was selling little policies, little policy, it, it never proved financially viable for me. So eventually I, I ended up leaving that. And you're absolutely right that when I left, this was around right after the economic fall hit and everything, I was in deep doo-doo uh, with, I had refied, I had spent money building this business that was no longer really supporting me. And I was needing to make sure that that mortgage was being paid. And so I started renting rooms to the easiest people I could which at that time was 20-something-year-old guys. And I had three rooms in the basement, and I just started renting those rooms just to pay for the mortgage. And so, and there's kind of, that's why I talk about creative is, you know, if you don't qualify for the loan because you have to be making certain thing or what's, you know, what you're, what they're counting isn't working, they're back off and figure out how to do that and give them what they want. And there are ways to do that uh, very creatively. So, you know, creative financing with with that was how I got the refi. And the refi made all the difference. It cut my mortgage in half. And yeah. I was I was then able to start being profitable. Now, so you talked about renting first off to 20-some-year-old guys. Now, what, is that a demographic that you're <laughs> still looking towards? or no. no, they were quick and easy. You could rent a room for 500 bucks. And they came, they did their thing, and then they went. It's easy to get those guys because they're always looking for places. And, you know, I didn't ask a lot of money on down payments, on, you know, deposits and things like that. I just needed the money. And so I'd get them in and I was doing weekly. I found out that if I could charge weekly, which a lot of people actually are really okay with, that when you add up those weeks, they end up giving you more money than just what you say, like $200 a week, people think is 800 bucks. No, it's 866. That little bit of extra money is helpful. And it does end up adding up in the long run. And it's those pennies and then those savings things that ended up allowing me to keep building. You start out with doing house hacking, and now you become a landlord. And in your landlording, what you're doing from what you described is you're not just renting out the house. You're renting out rooms in the house mm-hmm. to, to tenants. So, so A, I want to find out how do you find those people? And then B, you're renting it out on a weekly rate yeah. because you essentially collect an extra month's worth of rent when you break it down weekly versus doing it monthly. Right. So the first year or so, or first maybe couple of years, I was really you know getting these young guys in, which ended up being a huge headache after a while. But once again... I had to pay that mortgage. So it was really important that I got the money in there. And I did. And I was able to manage them enough. But, you know, I had to kick guys out and there was drugs, all sorts of stuff. But I was because they were kids. I mean, it was just a little easier to deal with them. I did end up later and and I was still living in the house, but they were in the basement. And then I had the house proper, which was upstairs. Eventually, I started renting the room upstairs as well. And there's so many people warning everybody about tenants. And I get it. I get that that tenants are really important. And I have learned over time how to choose those tenants. And what what helps me is, A, it's nice if they have a job. That is like the number one thing is if they have a job. And a lot of them have two jobs. 
because in this economy, a lot of people have to have two jobs just to get by. And also furnished. It's easier to move somebody out when they don't bring a bunch of furniture and stuff. It's much nicer when they come with a backpack and their their computer or whatever. And you'd be surprised how many people just have their, you know, belongings in a bag or in their car, are able to consolidate, have stuff in storage or whatever, and are willing to take a nice furnished place where everything is paid for, all the utilities, Wi-Fi, I provide cooking stuff, you know, dinnerware and linens. And I don't buy these all new folks. I go to the thrift store and I look for really, you know, good deals on, on stuff. And so I have a big storage of, you know, new sheets and I make sure everything's clean and all that. But I mean, I, I'm not going to spend uh, 25 or $30 on a sheet set when I can get it for five. And once again, it's these little things that end up adding up to a lot more money at the end of the month in your savings. Now, in a traditional shared housing arrangement, you know, people will rent out a room and then they have shared facilities. So you can mm. share the kitchen, you share the bathroom, yeah. maybe. But you did it a little different with yours. Over time, I did. Now, when I first started renting rooms, I had a laundry room downstairs, which I converted immediately into a kitchen. And so there was a kitchen and a bathroom down there, which meant that they didn't ever need to come upstairs. So they had their own entrance and they had their own kitchen. They had their own bathroom. So I, I was never living with them. Later on, when I started renting the room upstairs in my space, I had a couple of really successful tenants. And these were generally ones that I rented on, on a weekly type basis because I didn't want to get stuck with anybody for an extended period of time. So I did furnished executive rental with everything taken care of. And I would get a lot of people from out of town who may be doing residencies or coming to visit their folks or whatever. And I would just take temporary people and, and charge a fairly higher weekly rate and collect that money. Those people are tend to be pretty solid. Yeah. How do you find the tenants then that you're going to put in your houses? Okay. So I no longer do anybody in their 20s really anymore because they're just too flighty. And oddly enough, what has happened over this last five years or so is, I mean, this homeless situation that we have all over the country is really affecting a lot of people. And it's affecting a lot of, quote unquote, regular Joes that work, you know, that work full time or that have one or two jobs that are still having a difficult time, whether it's because they have a bad credit record or whatever. And they're having a difficult time putting out the three times the rent or whatever it is that that there's just a huge population that is not qualifying or is not unable to or whatever for traditional housing and rental places. So there's tons of people out there. And I generally I'll tell you who I'm getting who I'm actually getting lately is a lot of people in their 50s, 50s, hmm. and 60s. I used to get. A lot of 20s and 30s answering. And then slowly over time, the age has gone up. I have also become a little bit more picky about who I'm going to take. And like I said, I generally don't take 20 somethings because they don't stay. In my houses, what I have done is anytime I can give a person their own things, like their own bathroom or their own kitchen at, maybe I do that because you can charge more money. The more they have their own place with their own stuff and their own privacy, even if it's an 11 by 11 foot room with a kitchenette and a bathroom attached to it. That room is more coveted 
than sharing a double size room for some people. And so people need their own space. And if you're able, I've been able to thus far put kitchenettes in rooms and also, you know, try to add bathrooms where I can. Do they have common spaces they share or did you break them all up? So there's really not even any common spaces. I have discovered that common space is a waste of your money because that space, when you get tenants who have jobs and have lives, they come in, they do their thing in their room and they may use those facilities and then they're out the door. The more common space you have, the more chance you have for a interaction of tenants, which is sometimes great, but it's also sometimes detrimental. If people aren't getting along or if people are bringing friends over and stuff. And the more people you have, the more difficult it is to keep everybody happy. So I broke up all my houses so that I have divvied up the whole space spaces, which means that living rooms become uh, studio apartments. You know, I pop a um, little kitchen into a corner of it and then you know, decide, figure out on the bathroom situation. You know, like I said, I try to give everybody as much of their own stuff as possible uh, because I find that top, you get top dollar for when they get their own space. When, mm-hmm. when they get their own space, they generally are going to pay more. And I keep my places clean. I keep them quiet. I keep all the tenants, they're all working. And I also keep in, in communication with them enough so that I know what's going on. And since many of them are paying me weekly or they're paying me every two weeks, I often do their paycheck. If they get paid every other Friday, I say, okay, well, you're going to pay me every other Friday then. And that way, you know, if they lose their jobs, if something happens, you know, much quicker than waiting till the end of the month to get to not get your money. So how are you finding the tenants then? Where do you advertise? I'm about 95% Craigslist. Craigslist. And what is your ad? I mean, what, what would the typical ad say to, to find someone like this? Okay. So if it's a shared kind of situation where you're going to be sharing a bathroom or sharing a mm-hmm. kitchen, then I will post in shared, but I will also post in sublets and temporary. And in the sublets and temporary, uh, often there's nurses and stuff, and there's some that don't mind sharing a kitchenette or whatever, or a kitchen with somebody. So sublets and temporary, I will do executive furnished unit, you know, blah, blah. It's a lot of it is how you describe it as well. I don't put a, a ton of pictures. I find that actually pictures can cut your throat. Sometimes a lot of people are like, why don't you put so many pictures? Well, I'll tell you what, people don't like yellow curtains. And actually those curtains aren't even in the room anymore, but I had a picture of it. So I put them up and that lost a tenant. So I just, um, I put minimal amount of pictures and uh, real clean. I actually do lifestyle pictures, like feely pictures rather yeah. than Literal pictures, that, that's helpful. Okay, so when you're conversing with them, you advertise that it's a weekly rental or do you, do you say it's a long-term rental, but you pay weekly? So what I normally do is I say the rate is calculated weekly. However, okay. I have a three-month minimum. Rate is calculated weekly, I have although I have a three-month minimum. Uh, sometimes a kitchenette can be provided for an additional fee, right? Mm-hmm. There's more money for a little throwing in a, refrigerator and a, a microwave or whatever. And basically I will generally, this is how I do it. I think it's really important. People don't answer the phones on the ads in Craigslist in case you, you were wondering, there's a thousand ads in Craigslist and it's mostly to rental companies. And most of them do not answer the phone. So they're leaving messages. 
I answer the phone. I actually answer the phone. And the first thing I do when I talk to a potential client is I throw the ball in their court and I say, hi, so tell me a little bit about yourself, your situation and what you're looking for. And then I just shut up. Let them talk. And they generally will tell you exactly where they are. And I found that little trick saves me tons of time. Put Have your red flag uh, radar on to remember what they said and to catch any contradictions when they actually come to talk to you, to meet you. Because if there's contradictions, then there's problems. But the more they talk, the better you listen and you can actually piece together the story better. With le- well, and so that's going to minimize your risk. So give me an example of one of your, your homes on average. How many rooms do you have in it now? And what does it generate per month? So the first house that I got was technically a three bedroom, two bath, and it had a basement with a bedroom in it, but it, and then it had like an office and a weird living room thing. I sliced that kind of all up. I made two two room units in the basement that share a kitchen and bath and a, the house proper, I was able to actually keep. And then there was a little woodshed in the corner outside, which I added a bathroom to and a kitchenette, and that's its own unit. And then I built a two-story tiny home in the backyard, you know, fully hooked up. Mm-hmm. And that house generates about $6,200 a month. So I average with all my, I have, like I said, 17 doors in three properties. And I average about $1,000 a month per tenant. Wow. So So when you're looking for a property, are there certain characteristics you're looking for when you're going to buy a new home to make sure that it fits your model? The first house I purchased legitimately, you know, I was actually making the money and I, I bought it. The second house that I bought, I actually bought through an ad in Craigslist that was one of these lease to own deals. And I called the number and it was a brand new out of the chute wholesaler a kid who was trying to wholesale mm-hmm. and he had found this guy and I was actually able to get an owner finance property uh, just a couple of years ago. That was a cute little two bedroom, one bath house, but it had a garage with an office on it next door to it. That was the same size as a house. So when I went through it, I saw at least five units there. And so I was able to convert that little two bedroom, one bath, 800 square foot house making the garage into a, um, another unit and a, above the garage into another unit. But the banks, will, I'm not bankable. So I had to go commercial and I had a really good guy over here who was able to get me based on the fact that I was making income from these other houses. We were able to leverage that and also borrow money out of the equity of one of the houses to put on the down. So I was able to get another big house to do this whole situation with. So there's other ways of getting things besides traditional lending. And it's a lot is just, you know, digging, digging and dig, more digging. So if but somebody wanted to get started doing this with their existing house, or maybe they're just investing on the coast where things are more expensive, what what would you want to leave with them that they're considering this? What are the, like some salient points they got to know? So what I would say is that I, I think... When I talk to people about this, you know, I tell people what I do and they go, wow, you know, that sounds really great, but I could never live with anybody. And my first response to that is you don't have to live with anybody. There's ways to carve out the house inexpensively so that you can actually be pulling money in from the corners of your house that you don't use or that 
you didn't think of using or that were being used for something else. I think it's a real shame right now uh, how many people have so much extra room in their house that they could be renting out to people who actually need it. You know, we don't we're not doing that. So and I know that money is an object for like, oh, I can't afford a remodel. That's going to cost thirty or forty thousand dollars. Yes, it could. It absolutely could cost thirty or forty thousand dollars. But if you have time and you have some skills or ways of making relationships with people who actually can work for you, uh, that's another way of doing things. And I've been able to have my own crew uh, for the last few years. I did not pay for any of my modifications or remodeling or or this traditional ways. I I just, I couldn't afford it. Mm -hmm, I was mm -hmm. basically going by the skin of my teeth and a little bit of rental income. But I tell you what, finding a carpenter who's who's down on his luck and is living in his truck uh, or who's, who is about to live in his truck would surely do some trade work, you know? So I'm not saying that everybody should do that because I think, you know, you kind of need to have some skills and some experience to, to do that. But I've also learned the hard way and you know, I, I, but I'm proof that it can be done. If people want to see the the idea and get the concept behind it, you created a website called artoflandlording.com. And you've got pictures up there uh, of your, your homes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. definitely they should go and take, you should go and take a look at it. So it gives you inspiration ideas of how you can take a property and, and carve it up into these little niche spaces for people right. and then maximize the revenue from those properties. Yeah, I just created that website not too long ago. I really want to share what I've learned and I'm totally open to um, helping people out. I actually have helped quite a few people out, uh, whether it's to to figure out how to buy their first home, the different kinds of options and how to do that, whether it be um, wholesale or or not or traditional, um, just depends on what situation you're in. Leveraging, I think is really important to understand that concept and and know that if you have something of value that there are ways to leverage it, there's a lot, there's a lot to it. And I definitely am, am open to sharing all my tricks of the trade. I want people to be successful and there's plenty of room out there. And there's a lot of people that need housing. And I think ultimately that's really the most important thing. And I, I never looked at myself as a professional landlord. I, I always used to call myself accidental landlord, right? But in a way, my realization that it's become a service and that it is a service and that it's actually the people that I care about. It's not just the money. I think that kind of it's deeper. And I think in this, in this economy with the way things are in the world, I feel like I'm making a difference and it's very rewarding. And I certainly uh, am up for helping people who, who also have interest in doing things this way. Great. And they can contact you through your site. I see it's got artoflandlord at gmail.com and has your phone number there. So, hey, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on here and share with us your story. Like I said, when I first started working with you, I was just so amazed that, you know, from where you started to where you've come with your investing, it's a really, it's an inspiration that for people who are thinking about getting started in real estate or they're kind of struggling, wondering how they can make more money. I mean, it's out there. You just look at your your investments from a different perspective and you bring that. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me on. I really, like I said, I mean, I'm at this point now where I'm getting ready to retire. Yeah. You know, and it's been, literally I've been doing this for less than 10 years 
I've had the two houses for only four years, not even four years, just like three years. And I literally have three guys outside painting this house right now as we speak. And I have a roof upstairs that's getting done in a couple of days by the husband of my of my uh, cleaning gal. And if you've got any kind of skills or you just want to learn about what the possibilities are, give me a call, shoot me an email. I'm happy to help. I like helping. Great. Well, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it, Danielle. Thank you, Clint. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode.